Last year, while my teenage daughter, Olivia, and I were at her high school for parent-teacher interviews, we overheard a mom speaking angrily into her cell phone. She was telling the person on the line all the items that still needed to be handed in and how there should just be no excuses. After hearing this one-sided conversation trail down the hall, Olivia and I looked at each other with a sigh of sympathy. We both agreed, poor kid. How was humiliating a kid going to help them get his or her work completed in a more timely manner? I was also feeling connected to the mother who was clearly feeling angry. It is very frustrating when our children aren't doing what we believe they should be doing. My experience is under the anger, there's always fear. I could connect to the many fearful stories this mom was likely managing in her head once she was informed of the assignments that were not completed. I imagined her mind fast-forwarding into the future with stories like, my kid isn't going to get her diploma. How will she get a job? She's never going to leave home. Or perhaps her mind was going back in time to, I should have stayed on top of their schoolwork more. I went back to work too soon. I should have hired that tutor. It is amazing how strong emotions are about so much more than the triggering event. I then thought of all the times I have fallen into a trap of fear. I must admit, when those moments have occurred in our home, those moments when I think that one of my kids is not doing the right thing, according to what I believe is right, I too have had my share of starting into the mini-lecture that rarely results in what I want and always creates distance between myself and my child. So what is the solution? What should this mom do above the incomplete assignments? What do we do when our teenagers are acting in a way we don't like? Have you ever wondered why your teenager is acting this way? Do you want to better understand your teenager's behavior? In today's podcast, I'll be sharing some examples of how we as parents can get so frustrated when our kids are not making the right choices, or at least right in quotation marks, right according to what we believe is right. Today we will be taking a deeper look into your child's behavior, and I will share strategies that will help you see past their behaviors, hear past their words, to connect to your teen, your child, that precious human who lives beneath those upsetting behaviors. When you begin to use today's strategies, you will instantly experience a greater, more loving connection with your child. I will also be inviting you as the parent to take a look at why you are triggered by certain events and ways you can investigate your own upset. Rather than being a victim to unpleasant emotions, you will learn how to use your anger and frustration to listen inwards. You will learn how to stop spinning your tires with anxiety over your teen's behavior and to start using these triggering events to better understand what is really going on with you and your teen. Even if your children are not yet teens or are now adult children, the skills I am sharing in today's podcast will still be very helpful in assisting you in creating a more loving relationship with your children and yourself. So listen in. You won't want to miss today's episode on Awakened Parenting.
back to my opening story. Olivia and I soon arrived at the classroom of one of her teachers. I had already met this teacher before as she taught my older son the previous year. After the teacher, let's call her Ms. C, recognized me, she said, Oh yes, Keith's mom. I remember you telling me last year that you don't worry about report card marks. You just teach and support your kids to develop their learning skills. You said if the learning skills on the report card are strong, then the rest of the report card often takes care of itself. Wow, good memory. My daughter and I exchanged a chuckle. Olivia was nodding her head agreeing. Yes, that is what mom often says. Then Miss C said she tries to encourage her students to be more independent at handing in their work and often tells her students what this mom said to her one time about the importance of developing learning skills. Olivia and I both smiled at each other and shared with Miss C how we just overheard a mother struggling and yelling into her cell phone about work that had not been handed in. The teacher looked at me with a question on her face like she was asking, so what do you do if the assignments aren't getting finished and handed in? I took it as my cue to offer her more of my thoughts on this topic. First of all, I started by saying it's important to treat your teenager with respect. Yes, even I fall off this path once in a while and let fear drive my behavior rather than compassion. I shared with Mrs. C that I find children are the same as adults in many ways. We all have needs. It doesn't matter if you're 5, 15, 45, or 85. No matter what our age, we all have the same basic needs. One of those is the need for respect. It amazes me how many times I hear parents speaking rudely to their child and then complaining that their child speaks rudely to them. Even more paradoxical is when I hear an adult demanding to be spoken to politely while speaking in a loud, humiliating way to their child, threatening them with being grounded or privileges taken away if they don't stop at this minute and smarten up. I went on to say to the teacher that if my child was not handing in assignments on time, I would first ask myself, how would I want a loved one to respond to me if I was not getting something completed in, in a timely manner? If I was late getting my report cards handed in, what would I want my principal to say? My colleague, my spouse, or even my own parent? Would I want to lecture on the importance of meeting deadlines or how my behavior impacts other people's lives, or how this reflects badly on me as a professional? No, I'm certain none of these responses would be helpful. I find the first step is to always stop and take a deep breath and ask myself, how would I want to be treated in this situation? I find by stopping and asking myself this, it helps prevent a mini lecture, or as my kids and I often call it, a Captain Obvious lecture. No teenager wants to hear all the reasons why it's important to hand assignments in on time and how failing to do so will impact their grades and their future. They already know this. Teenagers, in particular, have been in school long enough to be very aware that assignments are expected to be handed in on time and when they are not, there are immediate as well as potentially negative consequences over time. If I catch myself giving a mini lecture, I know I forgot to check in with myself first 
to find out how I would want to be treated in this situation. The second thing I try to remember is the importance of listening. I went on to explain to Miss C that just like us, another need that children and teenagers have is the need to be heard. I suggested that before approaching my teen about a late assignment, I would first get curious. I would stop and wonder what must be going on with my child that's keeping her from handing the assignment in on time. I would need to get grounded with empathy and compassion. I would then be able to approach her from a sincere place of love and concern and curiosity. If I don't first get grounded, I might be approaching my child with my own fear of what is wrong or my own guilt over a story I'm creating in my head about what I believe I've done wrong as a parent to have a child not handing in assignments. With this energy, my child could end up interpreting my inquiry as hearing me saying something like, so what's wrong with you? Why can't you get your work done on time? My daughter's teacher nodded with a sincere smile of agreement and thanked me for my sharing. She said that was helpful and she would need to remember that. Our interview time was almost over and we needed to focus on my daughter's performance so far within the semester. When we left the interview, my mind went back to the angry mom on the phone with her child. I noticed how often I hear parents struggling with their teens over them not behaving the way they think their teens should be behaving. Another step that I find helpful when teens are being difficult is to stop and ask myself, what is my teenager's difficult behavior really saying? In other words, what are they trying to say? My experiences and mentors have led me to one conclusion about communication. Our words and actions all come down to one of two basic messages. Our communication is either an offering of love or a cry for love. What I mean by that is when we're feeling good about ourselves and life in general, our communication tends to be kind, patient, and there's a willingness to offer help when possible. I call this state an offering of love. However, if something is upsetting us, if we feel agitated, sad, or angry, now we are acting in a way that is painful for ourselves and others around us. We may not be consciously reaching outwards for love. However, at the core of our upset, there is a cry for love, an underlying message of, do you care? Will you support me? Or perhaps one of the most painful thoughts, am I even worthy? Most days, I don't think we're consciously aware of our thinking. We are too distracted believing that the triggering event is the cause of our suffering. Why do I share this? Because our tendency is to respond to our children's behavior and words rather than to see their actions and hear their words as a call for help or love. How we perceive their behavior will determine how we perceive them and how we address the behavior. For example, if we just consider the behavior, we will likely label them as lazy, being a smartass, or being controlling. If we see past the behavior and connect with the human we find, we are more likely to perceive them as someone who's struggling with things like self-confidence, trust, predictability, or perhaps someone seeking our attention or our love. Let me give an example. Suppose your teen comes home from school, drops his backpack right in the middle of the floor, and goes to his room, slamming his door. Perhaps you remind him it's not okay to leave your backpack there, or remind him of his chores 
or things he needs to get done before dinner, and he yells back at you, I know, you don't need to remind me. Overall, you are witnessing behavior you do not like. For many of us, our default mode might be to get angry about the angry behavior. We may feel triggered and remind him it's not okay to walk into the house acting like that. If we do, we are reacting to the behavior rather than responding to the child. Recently, while out with my kids, I heard a mom ask in an angry voice, What's wrong with you? Ouch. My heart ached for the child who was asked this question, and my heart ached for the mother who was struggling to understand her own child's behavior. I am guessing this mom was in default mode. She likely could not even hear herself or see the hurt on her little child's face. She was too busy judging the behavior rather than seeing what was truly going on with her child. If we can see unwanted behavior as a cry for support, a red flag that means I'm hurting right now, or something upsetting has happened and I'm struggling to manage all the thoughts in my head, or I'm doing the best I can, then we will be far more effective at supporting our children rather than being upset with them for being upset, getting angry for them for being angry, yelling at them for yelling, being disrespectful for being disrespectful. Another step on how to stop reacting to their behavior and avoid making their undesirable behaviors about you? What do I mean by that? Our autopilot default mode is to take our teenager's negative behavior personally. In default mode, we can easily fall into the trap of assuming our teens are blaming us for their unfinished assignment, missing the bus, getting a bad grade, losing their job, or getting into a car accident. Down deep, chances are, if we don't stop and take that deep breath, we could easily start to blame ourselves for their setbacks. For example, when a teen is complaining about an unfinished overdue assignment, as a parent, we might instantly, yet often unknowingly, blame ourselves for not assisting her to stay on top of managing her time. This blame can lead to feelings of guilt and believing we are not a good parent. We might have thoughts like, if I were a good parent, I would have helped her to keep on top of her homework assignments. That's what good parents do. Kids who do well in school have supportive parents. Clearly, I'm not a good parent. The mental dialogue can quickly slip down some pretty dark rabbit holes if left unchecked and unmanaged. This is very painful thinking. To try to rid ourselves of this pain, we might start projecting our pain towards our children, unaware that this might be our way of trying to get our needs met, like reassurance or appreciation. We might find ourselves giving a mini-lecture to our teen on the importance of time management and how she will have to get her act together if she wants to go to college, university, or even keep a job. Does this sound familiar to anyone? When we take our children's behavior personally, we are no longer in a stable emotional state to truly hear what is going on with them. We are overlooking their cry for love. Instead, we can easily fall into the trap of taking their problem and making it our problem. At this point, we stop listening and start defending ourselves or projecting blame back onto them. When we are in this state, we truly can't hear them, even if we wanted to. 
another trap you will want to watch out for the next time your teen is struggling with a problem like unfinished assignments is the trap of fixing the problem for them. I have caught myself in this trap several times. One of the most difficult things to witness as a parent is to see our children struggling. We can spend a lot of time trying to fix a problem we see our teen having. Many people refer to this trap as helicopter parenting. My child's upset? Oh dear, who do I have to call or what do I have to do to take away his pain? Where did we get this idea that our child or teenager feeling discomfort was a bad thing? I have witnessed myself fall into this trap, especially when my kids were little. As they were crying about the kid who was picking on them at school, or what the teacher said that upset them, or the assignment they didn't understand, before they were even done the story, I was off in my own mental movie, visualizing who I will need to contact, the teacher I will need to email, or the parent I'll need to speak to. Over the years, I have found one of the most effective ways to pull myself out of this trap. I call it my 24-hour rule. When my child's upset, I avoid doing something for at least 24 hours. I have found over and over that in the span of 24 hours, a lot can change, including the upset being forgotten about because she just needed to vent about it. Often in the venting, the anxiety is released, which opens the mind to new perspectives. Often our children just need someone to sit with them while they hear their own worries out loud, process all that has happened, and make a plan. Or sometimes they just need time to discover that now that they've talked it out and thought about it some more, it really isn't that big of a deal. The other thing that has helped pull me out of helicopter parenting is remembering that the problem is never the problem. It's not about incomplete assignments, poor grades, or a negative peer group. These are symptoms of a problem. Even if we wanted to, trying to fix or solve their problem is not helpful. In fact, it impairs their ability to strengthen their own problem-solving skills, a learning skill on my children's report cards. Trying to solve their problems also distract everyone from discovering what is really going on underneath these negative behaviors. Therefore, it's important to remember that negative behaviors are a sign there is possibly something to investigate. Perhaps not right away. Perhaps not every time. Remember to stop and ask, how would I want to be treated in this situation? When we do, we might recognize that when we are upset or have had a bad day, usually time and space is what we need at first to manage our feelings and thoughts. It is important that we try our best to offer our teens what we would want, or better yet, when we truly connect with our teens, we are more likely to know what he or she would want from us, even if it is not what we might want in that exact situation. One of my favorite quotes by Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of Nonviolent Communication, is, Every criticism, judgment, diagnosis, and expression of anger is the tragic expression of an unmet need. Attached to unpleasant behaviors are negative feelings. Nonviolent communication teaches us that when someone is expressing a negative feeling, it is a sign of an unmet need. When your teen doesn't hand in an assignment, 
you may ask them how they're feeling. Frustrated, confused, overwhelmed, indifferent, discouraged. If negative feelings are a sign of an unmet need, what could their unmet need be? A need for understanding, a need for acceptance, a need for challenge, a need for choice, creativity, a need for accomplishment, but the fear of failure is overwhelming and paralyzing them. There are many possibilities. My experience is most people are rarely aware of their own unmet needs in a situation because they're too distracted thinking they're upset over the story going on in their heads about what just happened. They think they're feeling frustrated because of their mom, the teacher, the boss, what their friend did or didn't do. People often believe it is a circumstance that has upset them. The circumstance, even a very severe one, is the trigger to our pain, but not the cause of our pain. So now, what do you do the next time your teen is upset? Let's go back to our outraged mom on the phone with her teen who missed handing in some assignments as an example of how to handle unwanted behaviors. First of all, stop and take a deep breath. Get grounded so it is less likely that you'll be triggered by their upset and so you can approach your teenager with compassion. Secondly, get curious. Approach your teen with a sincere, loving curiosity. Perhaps your first question could start with, Hey, I see you struggling. What's up? Thirdly, be respectful and remember the golden rule. How would you want someone to approach you with concerns about your uncompleted work? My guess is you would want someone to approach you with kindness and care, not judgment and anger. You would not want to lecture on the importance of getting work done on time because not only would you already know it, it would not be addressing your unmet need behind the incomplete work. Fourthly, listen without interruption. Listen, listen, listen. This one is tough. Not only staying verbally quiet, but can you also stay silent in your mind? Can you listen without coming up with a plan on how you're going to fix this problem or what unsolicited advice you're going to give them even before your teen finishes his story? My fifth suggestion, reflect. When she is done, reflect what you heard your teen say. For example, it sounds like when your teacher does not give you a choice on what to write about, you feel frustrated. If you heard correctly, your teen will have a new sense of calmness right away. Her eyes will light up as she looks up at you and makes eye contact, perhaps saying something like, yeah. This often leads to an offering of even more details as she knows now she can trust you to listen without judgment. If you didn't hear her correctly, she may be more agitated if you hear something like, just forget it, as she leaves the room, stay calm, apologize for not getting it, and ask if you could try again. If she's not willing, leave it, give her time, and approach her later. My sixth point, with a sense of curiosity, you can invite your teen to wonder what his needs are around this issue. You could offer, I'm wondering if you are frustrated because you have a need for more choice when you write and your teacher does not understand this about you. This may not be it, so be patient with yourself and do not get defensive if he appears frustrated and says, that's not it. 
You can also just keep it open to sharing a thought out loud like, I wonder what it is you are needing in the situation. If all else fails, remember, just offering your full attention is extremely helpful. If you can't think of what to say, that's okay. At the core of empathy is to do nothing but stay present with another person. You may want to refer to the list of feelings and needs found in Marshall Rosenberg's book entitled Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. I find these lists very helpful to refer to when I'm upset or I'm supporting my children through their own upset. If you can help your child identify her feelings and unmet needs, then what? The trick is not to allow your mind to fall back into the story. We believe the next step is to figure out how to change the teacher, the assignment, the job, the other person, so we can get our needs met. It is incredible that simply by taking the time to sit with our feelings and identify our needs, that sometimes nothing more is needed. In addition, leaving teens, even young children, with thoughts like, I hear this is challenging for you. I'm certain you'll find a way through this leaves them to manage their own challenges and become more independent problem solvers. I must add that I often ask my teen something like, how do you want me to support you right now? For example, would it be most helpful to just listen or are they asking for my feedback? Or sometimes I say, please let me know if there's anything I can do to support you. Remember, if you find yourself triggered by your child's behavior, also know there's something here for you to investigate, if you choose. I feel saddened by parents who are so upset about their children's behavior and think it has nothing to do with them. This is not about parent blaming. This is about parent empowering. As a parent, if you can witness your own emotion of being upset and get curious by asking yourself, why am I so triggered by her not handing assignments in on time? the sooner you will find peace as well. What I have shared in this podcast would apply to a young child, a teenager, an adult child, even a spouse or friend. Feelings and needs affect us all, no matter what our age. If this all seems a little overwhelming, if when communicating with your child you feel charged, then just take a deep breath and come back to the golden rule. Ask yourself, if I were in their shoes right now, What would I have wanted from my parents? What would I have wanted them to understand? What would I have wanted them to do? When I was a teenager, what did I need from the adults in my life when I was struggling with schoolwork, friendships, peer pressure, or that first heartbreak? My children are now 21, 19, 16, and 13. I remember when the Oprah show was on, Oprah would often ask her guests, what is something you know for sure is true? I think if Oprah were to ask me that question, it would be hard to pick just one thing. However, when it comes to raising children, I would say the one thing I know for sure to be true is that the older our children become, we need to talk less and listen more. So if all else fails, stop talking, let go of the mini lectures, and start truly listening with no plans to rescue, minimize, or take away their problems. Challenges in life are a gift to learning and growing. 
If we take away our children's problems and pain, we rob them of valuable learning and growth. So the next time your teen is struggling, remember the importance of your breath, your empathy, your ability to listen, as well as the gift you give yourself and your children when you investigate your own triggers and upset feelings. I want to conclude this podcast with a couple of reminders. First, I include an introduction to Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication in my eight-part online parenting workshop. My introductory online workshop offers several very effective tools required for conscious and peaceful parenting. NBC is one of them. Be sure to check out my website, jillmcpherson.com, for more details. And second, I invite you as parents to share your parenting question or suggested topics for future podcasts with me. Be sure to email me your questions at jillmcphersonyes at gmail.com. I would also greatly enjoy the opportunity to have a parent join me to do a live recording where I answer your concerns during a recorded one-to-one conversation. I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, join me, Jill McPherson, in awakening to a more loving, peaceful, and compassionate way to parent on Awakened Parenting. Thank you.